because this describes, this is just an example of what's going to be going on in heaven. Um, again, there's no time in heaven. We know that. So how long are we doing these things? Well, that won't even be a factor, will it? We'll be so amazed at the glory of the Lord. It, uh, and and it'll, it'll just uh, be so mind-boggling to us. And I think the Apostle John tries to capture that for us a little bit. He's, he's kind of dumbfounded in the sense that he doesn't have the words always to express what exactly he's seeing in heaven. But in Revelation chapter 5, I'm going to read to you this, again, this extended uh, chapter, this section of, of uh, Scripture, because I think it'll give us the sense of what, of what uh, we're preparing for. The Apostle John said, And then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. That would, of course, be the Father. There was writing on the inside and on the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. There were seven bands then around this scroll. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. What is this scroll? This scroll is the plan of God for the ages. The, 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 what he planned before the creation of the world. This is the divine plan of redemption. This is the divine plan of salvation. This is the divine plan of, of God's, God's will for, for the ages. And no one was worthy to open it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to read it. And that's the Apostle John. But one of the 24 elders, and the 24 elders, that, that 12 of them re represent us, the church, and the other 12 represent the Old Testament uh, saints. One of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. For, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the heir to David's throne, he has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. <laughs> and then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered or slain. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings. The four living beings probably some sort of angelic uh, person and angelic creatures. And among um, before the, the four living beings and among the 24 elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. And that's just speaking of the perfection of God. He stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings, that is the angelic host, and the 24 elders, that is the Old Testament saints as well as the New Testament ones, they fell down before the Lamb. And each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. And this new song is the, is the gospel, is the, is the salvation of our souls. And they sang this, that you are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and open it. They're singing to Jesus, aren't they? For you, you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom, a priest for our God and they will reign on the earth and that's what we as God's people are doing now spiritually we are reigning here on the earth and then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders and they sang in a mighty chorus worthy is a lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth 
and in the sea, and they sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders, representing all the church and all the Old Testament saints, they fell down and they worshiped the Lamb. Lord, we pray today that as we look at this issue of our personal worship and how that, Lord, you're using that to, to discipline us and to work in our lives, preparing us for the grand performance that's going to go on for eternity. Help us, Lord, today to have ears to listen and minds to understand. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, over my four decades as pastor, I've been asked many questions about death and about heaven and hell and from folks whose faith was really strengthened from the assurance that God uh, had thought of everything that we need to be able to abide with him forever and discover those glorious wonders of, of being able to worship him with uh, none of the imperfections that we deal with now. Sometimes, uh, again, we have enough songs that tell us that this is just a, when we praise the Lord now, we feel his presence. It's just a foretaste of what we're going to be experiencing in heaven. It's just a small little sample of what we're going to be experiencing in heaven. Because our imperfections, uh, our bodies right now couldn't withstand uh, all we're going to experience in heaven someday. These physical bodies couldn't. Jesus was so right, wasn't he, when he said that, uh, that, that, um, uh, uh, you know, we have the, the, that prayer particularly when he said uh, our, our spirits are willing, but our body is weak. We have imperfections in our body. We'll talk more about this next week. But we have imperfections in our body that a lot of times hinder our worship. It's, uh, sometimes it gets in the way of us. Uh, our minds are, it could get cloudy. It's hard for us to sometimes to think straight. We get sick at times, and we get depressed and discouraged at times. It's hard for us to to think through, and to, it's like you know we truly are seeing through a glass darkly, like Paul talks about. But I tell you, loved ones, God has uh, got us planned and prepared for our arrival in heaven perfectly nothing has escaped his attention and providing in Jesus for you to be able to become the perfect worshiper of God your creator in heaven you know really we all were once blasphemers of God all of us in our language in our behavior all of us were blasphemers and God's in the process of making us worshipers 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 of God for Jesus, remember, he informed that Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verse 23. He said, God is seeking a certain kind of person. He's seeking worshipers who will worship him a particular way. Who will worship him what? You know it. In spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Have you ever, uh, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever considered that you are a worshiper of God? Not just when we're here on Sunday, but tomorrow morning too and tomorrow afternoon and uh, tomorrow evening and then on Tuesday and, and also Wednesday and all the way through through the week you're, you're, we're called to be a worshiper of God when we're alone when we're together with somebody else when we're, when we're in our homes when we're at work when we're at, at, in, at, at school when we're at, the, when we're at the store shopping we can be a worshiper of God maybe not in the same sense we're here but wherever we go God is number one. He's, a, he's where we give our attention to him. He's got top priority. We need to stop and think about that. 
you know, to worship. I'm trying to understand what worship is. Worship is uh, to praise, it's to adore, it's to value, it's to credit someone for possessing certain characteristics, I mean, that are good, essential, and excellent characteristics. And we're specific about it. To worship God, we just don't say, God, we just praise you, we just praise you, we just praise you. No, as we read the scriptures, we see that there was certain, there was, there was adjectives, there was uh, things that, the, that John heard the, the angels and the church eventually will be praising God for certain things, specific things characteristics of the Lord that we'll be just adoring him for that's that's worship that we would appreciate him for God's looking again for people who will become the kind of worshipers that he seeks he's seeking worshipers you may be tempted to think that God is some sort of egomaniac like some sort of demented tyrant you know needing needing admiration for for from his subjects in order to quell his insecurities but let me tell you from the beginning the devil has always tried to suggest that to us that that to try to portray God the creator as deceptive or trying to cheat us out of something uh, withholding something good from us but let me tell you God is always holy always good he's always true he's always wise he's always loving God has possessed these qualities for all eternity they haven't gotten any bigger they haven't gotten any smaller he's the same what yesterday today and forever amen amen he is amen he is yes that the God is uh, he's the he's in fact he's the highest definition of good Jesus says he, and then since this is true his motives for seeking worship are, uh, are not to be doubted or, or to be questioned, but rather it's because he knows that only when we see him as he is, as the creator, can, we, can his goodness flow to us and can we benefit from who he is. That, that's why it's so important for us to worship him, that we can see that his, his glorious wonder will flow from him when we see who he is and what he has done. I'd like to read to you... Um, a scripture. I haven't. I don't have it up on the screen, but I just want to read it to you here. It's out of Exodus chapter 20. When it comes to preparing for worship, when it comes to preparing our hearts, or how do we, how do we begin thinking about practicing worship? How, how do we go about it? Well, we find out in Exodus 20. It's where the Lord is revealing for the first time the Ten Commandments uh, to, to Moses to the nation of Israel. And he says in verse 20, he says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then this is the first one. And you shall have no other gods before me. And number two, you, you shall make for yourself, uh, you, you shall not make a, for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, listen to this, I am a jealous God. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a jealous God, or I'm a zealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The first thing that the Lord is, gives us in, in Exodus 20 here as, we, as he's trying to teach the Israelites how to worship 
is the first thing he gives us here is this. That practicing worship begins by making God number one in your soul. You have to start there. God becomes where we, we, intention, we intentionally and knowingly say, God, I'm consecrating myself to you. I'm consecrating my, my body, my mind. I, I'm making you number one in my life. Now, of course, you can't do that unless he's already your savior. I mean, he's, you've, you've surrendered yourself, but there comes a point in your life where, where as your savior, you, you kind of realize, no, I need to really just, the more I know about the Bible, the more I know about the Lord is, I need to consecrate myself to him. I need to give myself to him. I need to, I need to give these hands to him. I need to give these feet to him. I need to give these lips to him. My tongue, my, my language. I, I need to give my money to him. I, I need to give everything about me to him. And I need to, that's first. That's the first thing in how we make the Lord number one in our life. God, God's revealing to us that in our, our heart devotion, there must be no competition between our loyalty and our, our love to him and anyone else or anyone or anything in our lives, whether it be a spouse or a child or a friend or a job or a lottery ticket, <laughs> whatever it is, um, whatever you worship is what you will bend your life to, is what you'll bend your knee to, is what you'll, is what you'll love, is what you're going to love. Um, you know, we, people who love money, they, they bend their life to it. They, they do everything in their life to get more of it. They sacrifice for it. They, they will, they will uh, uh, sacrifice relationships in order to have more money. They'll give more time to it. You, you, you give time and energy and effort to what you love. In fact, Jesus, I remember I've talked with people before about what he said in Matthew 10, 34 to 39. It's, it's, a, it's, a, tough, it's a tough thing to listen to Jesus say this for, for, uh, for I think, you know, a lot of people until they discover how wonderful Jesus is. Jesus said, do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? I, I tell you, I've come to bring, I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, her, her mother, excuse me, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Wow, that's a hard saying for a lot of people to say, you mean, Pastor, I've got to love God more than I love my spouse or I love my family and I love my job or I love anything. That's what Jesus says. That's what he says. Yeah. That's what God says too in the Old Testament. And I have to be number one in your life. The second commandment here is this one. Not allowing anything or anyone to replace God's number one place. We have to, it takes an effort for us to, to keep him there. Because there's all kinds of God, small g, small things, trying to uh, objects and life changes for us. We get raises. We get we 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 get more material things. So we get new. We get babies. We get new things. You know that that come into our life that we have to surrender to Him and say, Lord, uh, you're still number one. We have to make sure that we don't make an image or we don't like carve out an idol for us. And pretty soon we're worshiping that idol instead of God. That's pushed God off of the that number one spot in our life because uh, he says that he is a he's a jealous God and again the bet that maybe a better English word for us there would be a, a, a zealous God one that's really 
that doesn't want to share our first love with anything else. That he created us, he's our creator, and that we owe our first obligation to love is, is to him, is to love him. Um, you know, the Lord is clear in several places where we talk, he says that he will, if we, if we allow something else to come into our life besides him if, on, on that top spot, that he said this will happen, that he will visit the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Wow, that's a, that sounds pretty, pretty serious, doesn't it? It is serious. What does it exactly mean? Well, the Lord's clear in several places in Scripture that each person will have to give an account of their life to God. That my father's sins, or I won't be responsible for my father's sins. My sons won't be responsible for my sins. The Bible is clear about that over and over again, Old Testament as well as New. So what is this about? What is the meaning that God will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those um, who sin against him? But he shows steadfast love to those who keep his commandments and who love him. It's, I think it's simply this, that our moral actions have consequences. Our moral actions have consequences that we cannot imagine. When God, what, what, no, while God doesn't punish our children for our sins, he doesn't stop the consequences of our sin from touching our children's lives. He doesn't punish them for our sins, but he doesn't stop the consequence of my sin from touching my children's lives or my grandchildren. How many times have we seen abusive parents raise their children the exact same way they were raised? in the exact way their parents were raised. How many times have we, have we seen genuinely godly parents pass on the love of God as best they could, molding the characters of their family, and then saw their grandchildren being raised under those, those same values, being molded by that loving grace of the Lord. Of our obedience to God to live in his word and to love him by loving our families with his love will always effectively point our children in the right direction. They may get off track. They do. They get off track. But you raise them in the Lord, they can't get away from it. It's there. They can't get away from it. Amen. Amen. So the Lord's trying to show us, keep me number one so that you'll know how to bless your family, bless your marriage, bless your, bless your children. Live in such a way that, that you're an example to them. And it doesn't mean that they're going to say, oh yes, I'm going to follow Jesus too. But I tell you, they'll always know the right way. And they'll always have a tendency to remember that and to return to the Lord. That's our great hope, isn't it? As we see some of our children, our kids just, they just say yes to Jesus straight off the bat. And others, they struggle, it seems like. But they still are thinking about Jesus all the way. All the way. The third requirement is this one. The Lord says, and be aware of the extreme holiness of my name. Guard your mouth. Guard your mouth. 
third one here is again is this is that don't take the Lord's name in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless loved ones this is an area of our worship that our culture has just very little regard for anymore at all about God's name um, our president this past week used God's name in vain seven times within a three minute speech um, our halls of Congress are filled daily with men and women who profane the Lord's name we're in trouble my friends and even many Christians fail to realize that God is not like a buddy that you can joke around with or and take liberties with his name in jesting and joking I think a Christian comedian has the hardest job in the world because he has to be especially careful holding God's name is and the utmost reverence is a serious part of attributing worth to God worth to the Creator you know for Becky and me when we were first married um, we were like everybody else we didn't know what we were doing <laughs> you know you first get married you don't know what you're doing I, you know didn't even think about it really much we, we, we didn't we knew we, we loved the Lord and we loved each other but uh, boy there's a lot, a lot to learn when all of a sudden you're, you're living together and you're trying to be married, trying to be a husband, trying to be a wife. So we didn't really know what we were doing. So what we did, we just kind of watched other people a lot of times and we read books and we, and we listened to people who were experienced talk about it from the pulpit and talk about it from seminars and that kind of thing. And, and slowly we began to learn, especially we listened to older couples, but uh, we began to learn that, uh, you know, maybe how, how to make things pretty, not too bad, you know, uh, um, I believe that God has uh, expanded and enhanced our understanding of worshiping Him through our practice of, listen to me closely, um, through our practice of quote-unquote quote worshiping one another. We know we only worship God, but in a sense, I worship my wife every day. And I think she, well, I think she worships me. I know she does with what and how she talks to me. But that has helped us in our relationship with God. And it, by knowing how to worship God, it's helped us to learn how to worship, well, to enhance our love for one another as, as well. Um, I'll tell you, it, it, uh, it takes, it takes practice. Um, you know, again, we're not supposed to worship angels. We don't worship people in that sense that we worship God. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here. Uh, I'm not saying that I worship Becky like I worship the Lord. I, I, I don't. But really, in a real, in, in a real sense, you, you don't have to be married to do this. We all have people in our lives that we feel a connection to. It, whether it be a parent, whether it be a, 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 a sister, a brother, a family member, or maybe even a friend. You worship someone, quote-unquote, you worship them when you express appreciation. When you express appreciation for the quality that you admire in them. The word worship means to attribute worth. That's what it means. To attribute worth to someone or something. So when I express appreciation for the qualities in my wife when I pick them out, when I notice them and I express them that is in a sense quote unquote worshipping her and it enhances my love for her and it also enhances her love well back to me 
Of course, God, we can't enhance his love. It's, it's, it's always the same. But you see, it breaks down a little bit there, doesn't it? But there's a principle there that is true, that when we express appreciation, we're worshiping. When we express appreciation to someone for something that they did for us, thank you, thank you for what you have done to help me today. I, that's worship. It's worship. Yeah. I know a family who at family birthday parties, uh, before they light the birthday cake candles, they, they pause and go around the table and they express one characteristic that they value about the person who is the birthday person. In a sense, they are worshiping them. You know, I really appreciate you because you do this, because you have this quality in your life, you know. Now, of course, we're not, it's not as God, of course, because we know the birthday person has some weaknesses as well. <laughs> but uh, only God is worthy of our complete and wholehearted worship of love and devotion. You know, I often tell Becky that, that she's my soulmate. I say, you're, you're, you're my soulmate, honey. You're my helpmate, my best friend, and that she's number one in my life. But she knows she's actually number two. But I tell her she's number one. But she, in that, we both know that. When we say that, we, 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 we both know that, well, actually, we know we're, num- we're number two. And um, while Becky and I know that we love one another, we also know that, um, that uh, if, if we were number one in each other's lives, we wouldn't be there very long. Because we're selfish. We don't have the capacity to love with all of our heart one another if we're truly number one in our life. By God being number one in my heart, He'll never let me mistreat her. And He'll never let her mistreat me. And so as we stay in tune with the Lord, I think he makes us so full of love for one another. Some of you know that's how that works, don't you? You know that. I can see you nodding. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. And we're forgiving. We're forgiving. We overlook little things, don't, don't we, that aggravate us. And the things that we can't seem to aggravate, we can't seem to over, get over, uh, we can't get over, we, we talk about. You know, we talk about and say, hey, you know, this is really bothering me. And, uh, um, and, and we don't say, well, get over it. <laughs> we say, oh, because I care about you, I want to try to alter my behavior. Because I love you, because I love Jesus, he wants me to love you. Yeah. Learning to worship God takes practice. I, I'm still practicing. Anything done with skill takes practice. I, you know, I, I belong to a number of choirs over, over the years. Not, to, not that I've got a voice worth a hoot, but once in college, I was uh, part of a community chorus. Is when it was, in Indiana Western University, it was Marion College. And uh, I remember I needed a couple credits, and there was a couple easy credits, I think, if you join Community Chorus. Well, I, it's, uh, I thought, hey, I can do that. You know, it's not, it didn't take a whole lot of effort and time. So uh, uh, I joined the Community Chorus, and uh, what it was going to be, we, Marion College and Taylor University joined together, and uh, we were going to be a part of this huge community choir that was going to sing, uh, was going to be pre- uh, presenting Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. 
hey, yeah. Kind of makes you like look a little higher to me, doesn't it? Huh? Like you kind of think, wow, he's not such a klutz after all. You know, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, wow. Yeah, and we were to sing this one. Um, uh, it was called, uh, we, we, we call it, well, it's called Ode to Joy. Ode to Joy. And, but this is what I discovered once I joined the class. I, I, they give us our books, and we look. And first of all, I can't read music. And second of all, I can't read German. And this was in German. It was German. I thought, good grief, what am I going to do? I can't, I don't know what these words are. I have no idea. I can't read the notes. I can't. And so what I did... I got next to a guy who did know. I did. He was from Taylor, and he and he knew German somehow, and he knew the, he knew how to read the music, and and he knew how to how to. And of course, I was in. I can't mean what section I was in, but he knew the parts, and so I just listened to him. And uh, after week after week, I I got pretty good. I did. I did. I, I had no idea what I was singing. No idea what the words were, but I just remember, I just remember singing like all I mentioned, all I mentioned, all I mentioned. Fair day, Bruger. <laughs> I have no idea what those, no, no idea what those things mean. But, uh, but um, I tell you, we uh, we sounded pretty good. Uh, again, I couldn't read the music. I didn't know what the words meant, but we sounded really great. Uh, what a de- what a delight it was when I discovered that we have Beethoven's Ninth Symphony tune in our hymn book, "Joyful, Joyful, We Adore You." It's on page seventeen um, in in our particular hymnal, and. Uh, now I can worship God in a worthwhile manner because <laughs> uh, I know what I'm singing. I'm still practicing. You know, we, we practice a lot that, that crazy Ode to Joy German translation thing, and I, um, G- German version, excuse me. And uh, I tell you, we, we really uh, had a good time. But now this song means so much more to me because I know what I'm singing to the Lord. When I was singing German, I really wasn't singing to the Lord. I was trying to just get the two credits. <laughs> yeah, two credits. But now when I sing Joyful, Joyful, oh, it's different. Same song. I know the English. I know, I know, I know the words. Uh, I think I might have. I, I picked out one verse for you, I think. Yeah. Isn't that so great? Yeah. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happiness. Thou art Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. Oh, teach me how to love each other. <laughs> Let us lift us to the joy divine. Beautiful. I really appreciate it again, my fellow community chorus buddy. He helped me to learn the tune and the words, and that's a good example for us because you know what, loved ones? As we learn, as we are practicing worship down here on this earth, in this congregation. I remember I was taught this principle. It's not something, it's not original with me at all. I was taught this principle when I was having my children, when I had little kids. That I remember hearing um, a lecturer one day say, Men, fathers, your children are watching you in church. How are you worshiping the Lord? Your children will learn as they, as they watch you worship the Lord. Your children will learn. Are you just sitting like a bump on a log? <laughs> are you engaged with who the Lord is? Are you expressing appreciation to Him? That's what worship is. Are you in spirit? Is your spirit contributing? Is your spirit expressing itself to God for who He is? And is it truthful? Is it right? 
Is it coming out of the Word? Amen? So, just like I kind of learned from my buddy, we, we need to realize that people are watching us and, and it's not just us, that we affect other people. We affect our children. We affect our neighbor when we worship the Lord. Let me close. No, Jesus again taught us. He taught the, taught the Samaritan woman and us here in John, John chapter 4. We didn't read that part, but uh, how the Father wants us to worship Him. He's, again, He's looking for, he's looking for um, these tri- two criteria that we worship Him in spirit, with our spirits, and in truth. We just don't worship God any way we want, but we worship God according to how His Word tells us according to his truth, who he is, and what he has done. You know, S.M. Lockridge, uh, a great uh, uh, a black preacher, uh, I think he's gone to heaven now, but I heard him preach one time out in San Diego, and I remember hearing him say, now listen, if you can't come to practice, then you can't be part of the performance. <laughs> you know what he means? What he's trying to tell us, if you can't come to practice then you may not be welcome to the performance. You say, but PD, I'm just not that kind of person to be expressive and all that. You don't have to be. I mean, you got some feeling, don't you? You got some feeling. I mean, you get excited about something, don't you? Whether it be sports or fishing or, I don't know, beekeeping, (laughs) whatever it might be. There's something there. And it might probably be good for you to say, God, I need to feel like I love you. I need to feel it. And when I feel it, I, then I'll tell you. I, I, need, I need to tell you. I need to learn how to worship. I, uh, I think it's really important because Jesus said that's what the Father is looking for. He's looking for those who worship Him in spirit with our hearts. And to worship, we have to express we have to know who God is. We have to express characteristics that He is back to Him. Lord, we th- that's what that we were doing in heaven. Uh, honor and blessing and glory and power and all those things, those, those adjectives, those descriptions of who God is. And a good thing for us to say, I do as we close, maybe a good thing for us to do every day as we begin, when we open the Bible, you know, we, we should maybe think of something like this. We just see, sim- see a, a simple prayer Say, Holy Spirit, help me to worship God today in my words, in my actions. Help me to worship God today. I mean, if you want to grow, if it matters to you that you want to grow, you just got to ask the Lord, Lord, uh, you're waiting for me to get serious about this. That's what God's waiting for us to do. Get serious. Well, as a Tozer said, God never says much to the frivolous man or the frivolous person doesn't say much. You have to be serious. And if you're serious enough to say, God, I want to learn how to be a better worshiper. I want to start practicing better. I want to attend practice sessions, you know, not just here, but I'm talking about even at home. God will help you. We sing that song, draw, you know, draw me, draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord. Amen. That's what we're doing when we seek the Lord to be worshiping him in spirit and truth. Father, as we leave today, we ask you that you will drive these words home to our heart. Lord, uh, 
Help us all to be brave, to buck up if we've been dropping the ball. To buck up and say, Lord, we've been, I've not been what I should be. I pray that you will forgive me and help me to repent and to, to change. I pray, Lord, that uh, when I come to church, that I will bring you with me, of course. And Father, we pray that we will be on fire inside that we'll be so ready to give to you in praise and worship that uh, we'll just be right in line practicing, practicing, practicing for that great day when we stand before you. Lord, I, I know some just don't maybe even know what I'm talking about today, but I pray that in your great mercy and kindness that you will, you will show it to them, you will reveal it to them. Help us as Mount Hopians to... <laughs> to learn how to uh, just continue to get better at being lovers of God and expressors of that love. In Jesus' name we pray. Can you say amen? Amen, amen. God bless you. Let's stand together and uh, encourage one another today. Give someone a hearty handshake or a hug and the Lord bless you. Be, be, be careful today and have a good afternoon.